Well, good morning, Mountain Park. How are we doing? What a great time of worship. Man, just appreciate DeAndre and, and the group that comes out here and just takes us into God's presence. So glad that you're here. My name's Duane. I serve as the adult ministry pastor here at Mountain Park Church. And glad that you're here. Those of you watching online, thanks so much for tuning in. I got to start by asking the main question. Are you ready for Thanksgiving? How many are ready for Thanksgiving? Uh, that's about a third of you, but uh, also you got, you got four days. I love Thanksgiving. This is a great time to get together, of course, as you know, and eat food. Watch the Cowboys. Oh, rough crowd, rough crowd, I'm telling you. Oh, my goodness. But anyway, I always love Thanksgiving because it's time to share stories and stuff. And I was thinking of a story from Thanksgiving. There's this guy, this, this elderly gentleman, and he lived in Chicago. It was the day before Thanksgiving. And he called his son, who lived in Dallas, and he says to his son, he says, Hey, I got some bad news to tell you, son. What's that, Dad? Um, well, I think Mom and I are going to call it quits. And the son's like, what do you mean you're going to call it quits? Yeah, it just isn't working out anymore. And the son's like, Dad, you can't do that. You guys have been married over 40 years. You can't call it quits. What are you thinking? Well, I don't know, son, but could you do me a favor? Can you, can you call your sister in New York and let her know? So the son says, okay, I'll call her. So he calls his sister, and he tells her, you're not going to believe this. Mom and Dad are thinking of calling it quits. And the, the daughter just goes ballistic. She says, what? No way. This can't happen. They've been married too long. I'm, I'm going to call him. I'm going to fix this. We're going to take care of this. So the daughter calls dad, and she gets on the phone. She says, what are you thinking, dad? You guys can't be thinking of calling it quits. You've been married way too long. Promise me you're not going to do anything. I'm going to call my brother. We're going to be there tomorrow. We're going to fix this. Dad says, okay, I won't do anything. So he hangs up the phone, and dad looks at his wife, and he says, honey, guess what? What's that, dear? He said, well, the kids are coming for Thanksgiving, and we don't have to pay their way. <laughs> That's how you do that. And if that's too long of a question while you're sitting at the table, you can always ask the simple questions at the table, like, what kind of music do pilgrims like? Plymouth Rock. Oh, my goodness, I'm telling you. Well, my family, my family has told me to stop telling Thanksgiving jokes, and I told them I just can't quit cold turkey. But anyway, all right. So anyway, we're in a series, uh, enough nonsense, we're in a series the last few weeks called Are You Ready? And uh, we've been uh, looking through some passages in the book of Revelation, answering some really important questions. And uh, Revelation is a fascinating book. I love the book of Revelation. Uh, this past semester in my, my community group, my men's group, we've been going, we went through Revelation chapter by chapter. And it was just a tremendous time. I loved hearing the insight from the guys in my group and learning together. And I'm just going to put a plug in here. If you're not involved in a community group, I want to highly encourage you to do so. We are meant to do life together. We are meant to be in community. And if you're not in a group, I'd encourage you to go online and see what's available. We also have a group up coming up right after the holidays. We'd love to see you be in community. But it's important. Uh, there's so much to be gained when you're in community with other believers. So I want to begin this morning by asking a question. How many of you uh, got the whole book of Revelation, the end time stuff figured out? All right. I didn't even see one hand. I thought there'd at least be three people or something like that. Nobody. Well, I got my work cut out for me this morning. That's for sure. Um, yeah, the book of Revelation is uh, one of those books that can be very confusing to people. But I don't, I don't believe that it has to be. Um, sure, there's a, there's a lot of odd stuff going on in the book of Revelation, as you, as you probably know. Uh, but here's what I believe. I believe that the most important thing to understand about the book of Revelation is simply this. God wins. Can I get an amen? God wins, all right? God wins. Satan is defeated. God sets up his eternal kingdom for all those who are believers in Jesus Christ, and God wins. We know the ending, 
we know how the story ends. But just because we know the end of the story doesn't mean we shouldn't learn about the story. It doesn't mean we shouldn't, uh, that we should ignore this book or stop trying to, to, to learn it. Uh, let me illustrate it this way. Think about this. Uh, maybe this has happened to you. This has happened to me on more than one occasion. So it's Sunday morning. You wake up, and uh, you realize that the, the Cardinals are on. They got their early game. And you really want to watch the game, but you're, you're going to go to church. And so you decide, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to DVR it. I'm going to put the DVR on. You guys have done this before. You come to church, and you're real careful. You're sitting in the service. You're real careful. Don't pull your phone out. I want to look at the score. I don't want to have any conversations about the game. And you go to service, and then you go serve in the second service, and you're trying to be real careful about it. And then you, you made it. You're heading out. You get out to the patio, and somebody's like, hey, Dwayne, yeah, what? Did you hear? Hear what? The Cardinals, they pulled it out 28-27 in the last minute. And you're like, why did you tell me that? Has that ever happened to you? That has happened to me on more than one occasion. And you're like, ah. But because you're a fan, what do you do? You go home and you watch it because you still want to know, just because you know they won, you still want to know how they did it. You want to see the plays. You want to watch it. So you go home and you watch it. You might fast forward through it a little quicker than you normally would, but you watch it. Why? Because you're a fan and because you want to have the knowledge when you go to work the next day or go to school the next day to be able to share it with, with your friends or your coworkers or whatever. You want to be able to talk about it at school or at work. Here's my point. The book of Revelation declares to us, folks, that God wins and that God's victory that's coming is worth sharing with other people it's worth talking about because it involves people's eternities I got a simple big idea I want you to walk away with this morning and uh, here it is it's gonna be up on the screen but it's simply this sharing God's victory matters for people's eternity sharing his victory matters for people's eternity my experience has taught me when it comes to the book of Revelation, Revelation and, and teaching on the end times that people fall into one of two major camps. They, one is that they're either fascinated by it or they're afraid of it. They either can't get enough or they, or they don't want to hear about it. I personally am fascinated about it because I know that God wins. The book of Revelation is amazing. It, it, it's just a fascinating book. You have scenes in this book that take place at the very throne room of God. You've got an array of angelic activity that takes place. You have a world ruler, the Antichrist, that comes onto the scene. You've got a series of 19 specific judgments that, that frankly devastate the earth. Well over half the population is gone during the, during the Great Tribulation. But understand that the book of Revelation also gives us a description of God's coming victory because God wins. Now, I do understand this. When it comes to the book of Revelation and end times teaching, we can have uh, great discussions about how all of this stuff unfolds, how it's going to take place, how it plays out. We can argue pre-trib rapture, mid-trib rapture, pre-wrath rapture, post-trib rapture, or as I like to say, pan-trib rapture, which is a theory meaning it's all going to pan out in the end. You get that? We can talk about premillennialism or amillennialism or postmillennialism or whatever on how God's going to set up his kingdom. We can, we can discuss uh, whether the, the language in the book is figurative or literal or whether it's symbolic or metaphorical or allegorical. We can talk all about that stuff, but none of that matters in light of the most important question of all. And here's what it is Are you ready? Are you ready for the return of Jesus? That's the question that matters. Are you ready for his turn? If the rapture happens before I'm done talking, right, this morning, where will you be? 
Will you, will you still be sitting here? Will you still be watching online wondering, what happened to that guy on the stage? <laughs> or will you be in the presence of Jesus forever? Are you ready for the return of Jesus? I want you to think about and I want you to answer that question while I'm talking here this morning because I'm going to come back to it later. Now, understand that the book of Revelation isn't the only book in the Bible that talks about end-time teaching. There's, there's several other places in Scripture that talk about end-times teaching. Books of the Bible like, like Daniel and, and Ezekiel and, and 1 Thessalonians and, and 2 Peter. There's a number of places that, that talk about it. But I want you to also know that Jesus himself talked about the book of Revelation. Well, he talked about the book of Revelation. He talked about end times teaching and his return. Um, he spent a, a, a lot of time talking about him coming back and his victory. If you have a Bible with you, whether it's a screen that scrolls or pages that turn, I want you to open it up and turn to the book, believe it or not, of Matthew. And we're going to look at the 24th chapter this morning in Matthew. And uh, just to give you a, an idea, if you're new to the Bible, Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. But in the book of Matthew, chapter 24, Jesus is with his disciples. They are on the Mount of Olives, which is just outside the city of Jerusalem. And he's having a discussion with them and uh, giving them a whole array of information that, that surrounds his second coming. And I want to just warn you right off the bat, we're going to look at a lot of scripture today. We're going we're gonna to fly on Mr. Dwayne's wild ride here as we run through this. And uh, what I want you to understand is that I'm praying that what we talk about today will simply create a hunger in you to want to learn more, to want to dig into God's word more and talk about God's coming victory. Because as we mentioned, sharing God's victory matters for people's eternity. So are we ready? I hope so. Let's buckle up. Let's look at this. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 1. This is such a fascinating passage. So Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. All right, let me pause here. So after a long day, Jesus and his disciples are heading out of town for the night. And the disciples begin to comment on the beauty of the great temple complex. Now, King Herod had spent decades building this elaborate temple complex for the Jewish people uh, to worship in. And it's very impressive. And they, and they say, Jesus, you notice this? And Jesus says, yeah, it looks nice, but it's all going to be torn down. What Jesus is doing here is he's referencing an event that hadn't even happened yet. Uh, namely, that the city and the temple were going to be destroyed. We know from history that in A.D. 70, the Roman Empire came in, and uh, they just about 40 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, they came in, and they would come in and destroy the city and, and the temple. Now, this is where it gets fun. The disciples, they knew that it had been prophesied that when the city of Jerusalem and the temple was destroyed, it was a sign of the end of the age. And so when Jesus says, hey, the, the building's going to be torn down, their wheels start spinning in their head, and they start realizing, oh, he's talking about the end, the end of times. And so they formulate a couple of questions that they ask Jesus, which is going to launch Jesus into this discourse that he talks about in Matthew 24. And so we pick it up here in verse 3, and here's, two, here's the two questions. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? You see how they, see how they pulled that together? Listen to Jesus' response. Jesus answered, watch out. Let nobody deceive you. 
Many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And this next verse is very, very important. And these are the beginning of birth pains. All right. What Jesus just did here in these few verses is he's just shared a condensed version of the first half of the tribulation. Um, in Revelation chapter 6, we have a series of judgments known as the seal judgments. And the, what Jesus just did is describe the first four of those judgments. A couple of weeks ago when Pastor Don was teaching, he talked about the four horsemen. That's what Jesus is referring to here. Uh, a false messiah, or the antichrist, war, famine, and, and, and death. Jesus is saying, this is just the beginning, and he rolls it all out with this whole idea of birth pains, which seems a little odd if you just look at it. Um, let, me, let me try to explain what, what Jesus is getting at here. So um, my wife, Sherry, and I, we, we have uh, three children. And because of that, I have had a front row seat to this idea of birth pains three times in my life. Uh, the, the first time this happened for me, it was, I was 19 years old. And um, uh, I was at work. I was driving a semi-truck at the time. Yes, a gear-jamming teenager. Uh, but anyway, I was, I was at the place waiting for my truck to get loaded. And uh, I, I wanted to check on Sherry. And so I called her on this, this ancient device. Uh, it, was a, it was called a payphone. Do you remember these things? And you had to have change in your pocket. And you put a quarter in and you got to make a call. It was, it was just, it was amazing. But anyway, and so I called her and, and see, how are you doing? And she said, the birth pains, the contractions have started. Once she said that, it was like a switch flipped inside of me. I was like, well, okay, I got I to I go. And I hang up. I got I to get her to the hospital. I got to go. And I tell the guys loading my truck, I got to go. You got to hurry up. You got to get this done. I got I to gotta hammer down now. Come on, let's go. I got to go. Got to get her to the hospital. And so I go into this kind of a mode. And so I, I finally, they get the truck loaded. I get in the truck. I drive about a half hour to my destination. I get there. I don't even unload the truck. I just hand it off to a different driver. Say, I got to go. I got to get to the hospital. The birth pains have started. The tractors, I got to go. And you can just imagine. So I get in my car, and it's one guy's excuse to speed. I drive home as fast as I can. And uh, get, get to the house. And we lived at that time in this two-story farmhouse. And uh, I come in. I run up the stairs. I burst in the door. I'm here. Let's go. Now, my beautiful young wife at the time was uh, very calm. <laughs> and she says, Dwayne, it's okay. Calm down. We don't have to leave yet. Just breathe. Now, I thought all of those breathing exercises we did the previous nine months were for her. <laughs> Turns out I needed them as much as she did. The birth pains had started, but it was still a little ways off. Jesus uses the illustration or the idea of birth pains to help us understand how the tribulation is going to unfold. There's three things about birth pains we all need to understand. First of all, they, they, they start suddenly. They get closer together, and they get more intense. Um, first of all, they start suddenly. I believe that the tribulation will start suddenly. It's just going to happen. I, I personally believe that the Bible teaches us that the tribulation will begin with an event known as the rapture, an event where all believers are caught up or raptured to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, let, me, let me describe this event to you. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, there's a couple of verses that describe this event. I'll put it up on the screen. It says this. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, 
with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up, raptured, together with them in the clouds, and I love this part, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord, how long? Forever. What do we do with this? Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The rapture, which is what I believe is the next prophetic event on the prophetic calendar, will happen instantly for those who are believers in Jesus Christ. Let me show you one other quick scripture in 1 Corinthians 15.52. It describes it like this. And this may be more familiar to you. In a flash, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Folks, it will happen suddenly. Question, are you ready? Are you ready? You need to answer that. Secondly, birth pains get closer together. We understand this. When a woman's in labor, her initial contractions might be hours apart, but at the end, they're going to be much, much closer together. The first several judgments in the book of Revelation will likely be months apart. In fact, the first six sealed judgments will, will probably take a little over half of the tribulation. But the latter judgments, the, the, the bold judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bold judgments will be much closer together. Uh, probably days apart at the end. Thirdly, birth pains get more intense as they go along. Um, any woman who's had a baby understands this. That's why there's a lot of screaming at the end, right before the baby uh, comes, because of its intensity. As the tribulation unfolds, especially the latter part of the second half, it will become very intense. In fact, one of the bold judgments alone, another third of the planet, um, the population is gone, wiped out. But as grim as that may seem, as grim as that may sound, understand that there will also be a large number of people who will be saved, who will come to faith in Jesus during the tribulation. Um, we have to remember that God wins in this. And sharing God's victory matters for people's eternity. We need to let them know that. So let's jump back to Matthew chapter 24 and verse 9 and pick this up. So Jesus talks about this is the beginning of birth pains, and here's what he says. Then... You will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from faith and will betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. That kind of sounds like a day in the life of 2021. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Jesus makes it clear here that during the tribulation, the world will not be without its witnesses. God in the gospels, or I'm sorry, um, the gospel will go forth. Revelation talks about the 144,000 witnesses and others who will continue to, to share the gospel and make it known during the tribulation. Verse 15. So, or your Bible might say, therefore, when you see standing... In the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through Daniel the prophet, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one go on the housetop and take down anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back and get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in the winter or the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled, from the beginning of the world till now, and never be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one 
would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Okay. Wow. There's a lot of stuff there. A lot going on. Let me try to break it down just a little bit. And I want to key in on, on probably the most important verse in the, in, the, in the chapter, verse 15. He says this. I'll put it up again. Therefore, when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken up through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. All right. This raises a big question, and maybe you're already thinking it. What in the world is the abomination of desolation? Because it's not self-explanatory. It's obviously important because of the fact that Jesus started this passage with the word therefore or so. He's basically saying, in light of all I've told you, Pay attention to this. This is important. So let the reader understand. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to explain this a little bit. And, and um, to do that, i got to get a little teachy. But we're going to go to the book of Daniel. If you're in your Bible, you can turn there. It's going to be up on the screen. Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. So in the book of Daniel, this little passage, these little four verses, are what's known as Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. And I don't believe you can fully understand Revelation without having a working knowledge of Daniel's 70-week prophecy. They, they, they fit together uh, like this. And I'm going to quickly read through these verses and, and hopefully make sense of what this whole abomination of desolation is all about. So Daniel is given this prophecy by none other than the angel Gabriel. The same Gabriel who, who tells Mary, you're going to have a baby in the name of Jesus. Same one. And here's what he says. Verse 24, he says, 77s, or some of your Bibles might say weeks there, Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city. Why? To finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to set up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So what Gabriel's telling Daniel here is, look, uh, the end is coming. Sin will be finished. Judgment will happen. God's eternal kingdom will be set up. Then he says this, verse 25. Know and understand this. And he's going to set two time markers. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with street and trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. Okay. Two quick things to remember here. One is that the sevens in this prophecy represent years. So you have 69 sevens, or 483 years. The second thing to remember in this prophecy is that the, the, the first time marker, the decree that's in view here, is the one that Artaxerxes, King Artaxerxes, gave to Nehemiah to go into Jerusalem and rebuild the wall in the city. That's your, that's your first time marker. We know from history that was in 445 B.C. Okay? That's the trigger that starts this timeline. The end of the timeline... It says here, is when Jesus enters Jerusalem for his triumphal entry, the week when he is crucified. It says there, the anointed one will be put to death. So there's your, your time frame that, that Daniel's talking about here. You with me so far? Okay, here's where it gets fun. <laughs> Between week 69 and week 70 in Daniel's prophecy, there's this undesignated gap of time. We know it as the church age. We're currently living in that gap of time. It's the time where Jesus set up his church to go into the world and be salt and light and to make disciples. So that's how this vision's laid out. Now, let's pick it up, the rest of this, the rest of this uh, um, vision here. 
the people of the ruler who will come, we're going to shift gears here, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now he's talking about the Antichrist. The end will come like a flood. War will continue to the end, and desolations have been decreed. He, the Antichrist, will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. Now we're talking about the 70th week, which is the Great Tribulation. Look what happens. In the middle of that seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up the abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. All right. Here's what I believe this all, this all means. I believe what's going to happen is that at the beginning of the tribulation, Daniel's 70th week, this world leader known as the Antichrist, who is powered by and loyal to Satan, will rise up suddenly, and he will make a peace treaty with Israel. Think about that. Guaranteeing peace in the Middle East, something nobody's been able to do successfully. He will reestablish temple worship for the Jewish people, allowing them to, to have their temple worship again. Now, one thing that he will do is halfway through that tribulation, he's going to break that treaty, and he's actually going to set up himself as the person to be worshipped. One thing that Revelation describes is that the Antichrist will set up an image of himself in the temple and require people to worship it. This is what's known as the future abomination of desolation that Jesus is describing here. Now, Jesus says something very significant in Matthew 24 and verse 15. It's a parenthetical statement. I don't know if there's another one of these in Scripture. It's a parenthetical statement where Jesus simply says what? Let the reader understand. Why does he do this? Jesus is on a mountain talking to his disciples. But Jesus knew that one day, you and I and many others would be reading what he was saying to his disciples at that time. And so he says, let the reader understand. He's basically saying, this is important. This has future implication or significance. Understand what I'm saying here. Now, the disciples who were the listeners at this time, they would have understand, understood the abomination that causes desolation as an event that had already happened. You see, prior to this, about 200 years prior to this, about 166, 167 B.C., um, there, was a, there was a person ruling in Jerusalem named Antiochus IV. He was one of the Seleucid kings, and he was, he was a rough dude, okay? He, was, he persecuted the Jews terribly. He, he thought of himself very highly, though. He called himself Epiphanes, meaning the illustrious one. What a title to give to yourself. But anyway... He uh, persecuted the Jews, and one of the things that Antiochus IV did is he went into the temple in Jerusalem and actually sacrificed pigs on the altar to the god Zeus. That was what was known to the Jewish people as an abomination of desolation, an abominable act done to God, a detestable act done to God. And so the Jewish people would have been familiar with this from their history. This is where the Maccabean Revolt and Hanukkah and the Feast of Lights all comes out of this this time period. And so the disciples would have understood this. What Jesus is doing here, and this is the genius of Jesus, is he's tying all this together. He's saying, look, the Antichrist of the future will do a very similar thing. He will set himself up in a detestable way to be worshipped, just like Antiochus had done uh, in, in the past. Now, when all of this happens, 
this peace treaty with Israel in the future will be broken, and the remainder of verses 16 to 22 that we read will come to, to play. And people will be, have to get out of town because the Jewish people and anyone who's not loyal to the Antichrist will be persecuted heavily and they will have to flee from their homes and yet God will protect them. Because as we said earlier, God wins, folks. He wins. And so Jesus continues in this passage now and he shifts gears. He begins to shift gears from the devastation of the great tribulation and begins to describe his coming victory. For sake of time, we're going to move down to verse 29 together and listen to what he says here. He says, immediately, after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Some of this is described in Revelation chapter 8, a lot of cosmic activity. And then the next word is wonderful. Then, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the people of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with loud trumpet call. They will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heavens to the other. Amen. Revelation 19 describes this in a lot more detail. You can look at that later. But what Jesus is describing here is his victorious return where he sets up his kingdom to rule and to reign forever for all who are ready all who have received the Lord Jesus as their Savior will share in this victory with him. Folks, God wins. God wins. And sharing his victory matters for people's eternity. Why does all this matter? Why do we need to share all this? I'm going to give you a simple answer. <laughs> because Jesus said so. Remember when you were little and your, you, your mom told you to do something? And you said, why? And what did she say? Because I said so. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's, why does this matter? Because Jesus said so. You know, right before Jesus ascended to heaven, um, one of the last things he told his disciples and us was to be witnesses. Let me show you a quick verse. Revelation, or I'm sorry, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be what? My witnesses. Where? In all the world. Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Why? Why do we need to share this? Because God wins, and he wants everyone to know about it. Sharing God's victory matters for people's eternity. There's a, there's a lot more in this chapter that we could cover. We don't have time to do that this morning. Um, but I want to I wrap up by keying in on verse 36. Here's what verse 36 says. It, uh, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Remember the, remember the questions the disciples asked, the original question? They wanted to know, when's this going to take place? Jesus answered the second question about the signs first. Now he's getting back to their first question. When's this going to take place? They, they want to know when this is all going to happen. When are you going to be setting up your kingdom? You know what? The, the disciples are no different than you and I. We have those same questions. We want to know when are the events of Revelation going to start unfolding? When are the, when are the birth pains going to begin? We're, we're curious. We want to know. Jesus makes it clear here. You know what? The when isn't what's important. The day or the hour, nobody knows. What's important is to answer the question, are you ready? That's what matters. A little farther in verse 42, Jesus says, keep watch, for you don't know what day the Lord will come. Are you ready? It's that simple. Folks, the signs are all around us, okay? We could spend the afternoon having a fun discussion about things happening in our world that might point to the end of time. Uh, who knows? But that doesn't matter. 
What matters is answering the question, are you ready? You know, when a, when, when a woman's about to give birth and when she goes into labor, nobody's, nobody's usually surprised when a woman goes into labor. You know why? Because the signs were evident. You, you can look at a woman and say, yep, yeah, she's pregnant. And if it's the last month or so, you can say, we always say, she's very pregnant, right? It's coming. And, and, and so she gets ready for the birth pains, right? You see the signs. She goes to the doctor extra time. She puts a bag together to, to go to the hospital. She gets ready for them to begin. Friends, Jesus says, let the reader understand because he wants you and I to be ready as well. That's how much he loves us. Earlier, I asked you to answer that question. Are you ready? And I'm just going to be as forthright as I can be. The only way, the only way you can answer yes to that question is by having a personal relationship with Jesus. That's the only way you can answer yes to that question. Not just knowing about Jesus, not just coming to church, not just reading his Bible, not just thinking that I'm good, but only by having a personal relationship with him, believing that Jesus came to this world to save you. Now, I I know just from experience, I know that, that many of you here today, many of you watching can answer yes to that question. Praise God. You, you know Jesus. You have that relationship with him. I hope you're sharing that. But I also know that there are some of you in this room and some of you watching online within the sound of my voice that you can't answer yes to that question. You're not sure. You're still, maybe this first time you've heard the gospel. Maybe this first time you're, you're, you're hearing this. Or maybe you're just investigating still the, the claims of Jesus or you just haven't paid attention to it. I want to make sure that before you leave today, you have a clear understanding and opportunity to know the answer to that question is yes. See, having a personal relationship with Jesus, it's really pretty simple. The first part of it is simply this, acknowledging that you're a sinner. (laughs) We've all got that one down. Romans 3.23 simply says, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. All have sinned. If you don't think you're a sinner, then you you just lied, which makes you a sinner. (laughs) All of us have fallen short of God's glory. We're all sinners. We have to acknowledge that. That's first and foremost. Second step to answering yes to that question is believing. Believing that Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, rose again to pay the penalty for your sins. There's a great verse in Scripture, John chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, for God loved the world so much that he sent his son Jesus that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. You want to answer yes to that question? You need to believe that. The third part is the toughest part because it's an act of faith. It's an act of faith. It's taking a step of faith, asking Jesus to forgive you of your sin and to come into your life and be your Lord and your Savior. In the book of Romans, chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, it simply says, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. It's a step of faith. It's that simple. Jesus so much wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to be ready for his return. 
We're going to wrap up here, and, and the band's going to come out. We're going to sing one more song in just a moment. But before we do, I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you're here this morning, you're watching online, and you've never prayed that prayer to ask Jesus to come into your life, I'm just going to give you an opportunity to do that. And you can pray this prayer. I'm going to lead us through this prayer, and it can be from your, your heart to God's ears. Let's bow our heads. It might go something like this. Dear God, I come before you, and I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done wrong, Lord. I know that I've fallen short of your glory. And dear God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to this earth to live a perfect life, to die on a cross for my sins and rose again to pay the penalty for my sins. And right now, dear God, I ask Jesus to come into my life and to be my Lord and Savior forever. Help me, Lord, to live for you. And I ask this, Lord, in your name. Amen. Before we sing here, if you prayed that prayer this morning, the Bible says you become a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You are a child of God. It's, it's that simple. It's an act of faith. And I want to encourage you to do one thing. If you're watching online, if you're here this morning, it, right after we're done singing, we're going to have some prayer partners up here at the front. I want to encourage you to take one step when we're done singing if you prayed that prayer, to come up here and talk with one of them and just tell them, hey, I prayed that prayer to receive Jesus. What's my next step? They want to help you with that. If you're online, I encourage you to use the chat feature and just say, hey, I prayed that prayer. What's my next step? We want to help you. We want to make sure that everyone is ready. Folks, let's remember to share that victory.